I have to leave in about five minutes. I got the door locked. You good to go? I'm ready. ready. I'm I'm not born ready. ready. Here we go. The following is a Tony Lozano podcast, an OPI production that is hippo spelled backwards on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Back to You with Steve Baskerville and myself, Howard Sudbury. I gave you top billing so I could fit your big head in this room. And that ego. See, I was about to compliment you, and now you? you went. You had to go in that direction. <clears throat> you keep getting better and better at this whole facilitating thing. I mean, you you really enjoy this uh, seat there in the cockpit, sort of controlling things, right? Well, I'm not really controlling anything. Samuel in the other room is controlling everything. I see. I've just got a microphone like you do. I got you. So there's a guy named hey, Samuel. Got, I got a volume for the headsets. There he is. Yeah, and, uh, yeah that, all wait, the controls are closer to you. But anyway, that's a different story. I can turn the volume down if I don't want to hear what you're saying. Really? Yes. Really? Yeah. Yeah? So that is a facilitator, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> Our guest already left. Uh, how are you? How's retirement? Why do you have to ask me that show after show? <laughs> I, drag myself, I drag myself down you know, here, 45 minutes driving. I park up on a... I don't know, the umpteenth floor of a parking lot on yeah, a hot got, day, and I come park- in here, and I'm, I'm in a room without windows with a microphone. Does that sound retired? What floor do you park on? I don't know, the 12th floor. Huh. A lot of construction going on. I park construction the- going on on roads and streets and even in parking lots, places where cars are standing still. They've still got to find a reason to do it. Well, in the first floor, I park in the Radio Misfits podcast network spots. Really? Yeah. yeah. There are a bunch of them for the people that can get them. Everybody who is somebody. <laughs> Look, I, I want to bring up something that was on my mind for a couple of weeks. Okay. And I meant to do it last podcast, but I got distracted. And I think that's probably what I like about doing these is that we do get distracted and start talking about all sorts of things. Like right. I didn't expect all your parking lot talk asking me about retirement. But last I don't know how many months ago, you went to the doctor. You had a physical. Yes. Doctor said everything's fine. One last thing, let me check your height. Okay. Yes. Uh, the nurse actually did. The nurse did. Yeah. Okay. And the nurse determined that your height is five feet nine inches tall. Okay. Let's stop right there. You don't agree with that necessarily, do you? Well, no. I'm six feet tall. That's okay. what I told All her right, right okay. away. Okay. All I, right. I said the weight's fine. You're you're wrong here. Okay. All right. Two, three weeks ago, I go to the doctor. Physical. Everything's okay and fine. And oh, one last thing, let me check your height. I go over and he gets the measuring stick out and says, guess what he says? Let's see. You're five feet nine. I said, You've got to be kidding. There's no way on God's green earth. No way in the world. That I am five feet nine. No. I know I came in here 5'11. And on a real, real good day, I'm feeling good, I can push it up to six feet. Do you think that they are trying to get your blood pressure up a little bit to see if they can get an accurate reading? I don't know what it is. Some kind of, yeah, to see what it really is, where they balance it? Yeah. I don't know, man. I think some kind of conspiracy or is there some shortcut they take. Shaquille O'Neal could go to my doctor <laughs> and get a physical <laughs> and everything check out. They said, let me see one last thing. Let me check your height. Okay, Mr. O'Neal, let's see. You're five feet nine. Right. Yeah. Well, what's my, happening? When uh, the nurse put me in the room and I was waiting for the doctor, uh, he asked, uh, How is everything? How are you? And I said, I'm six feet. And he, he said, That's not what the sheet says. And I said, You've got to get your machine fixed. He said, It's not a machine, it's a ruler. Well, seriously, something's wrong. I don't know what it is because. Uh, but that did bother me. Too and many then, people are checking in at five feet nine. And then we got our picture made that day. Chris Zorich, yeah. the former bear, and I was much taller than he was. He's 5'9". Well, <laughs> that's, that's what the thing is. Yeah. You know, I asked yeah. you about retirement. So what do you do now? Older people, if you're really, truly retired, uh, are supposed to get up like at 4 o'clock in the morning and have a full breakfast, eggs, bacon, <clears throat> pancakes, everything, take a little nap, Get up for the price is right, 
take another nap. Yeah, well, that's what older watch, people do. Watch, why why Je- are you looking at me talking about watch, older people? Then you watch Jeopardy. Older And then people. you have dinner about 4.30, and then you watch Wheel of Fortune, and you pack it in. Well, now you're getting to what my routine is. <laughs> no, look, I still have the habit of going to sleep at 2 in the morning. I go 2 in the morning and get up, you know, to come to drag myself down here to do this. I haven't changed much of that at all. Now, uh... The, the person that we have with us today, can I do the honors of setting this man up? Yes. I, I shouldn't su- phrase it that way because he may think we're setting him up. I suggest but- you do because he just looked at his watch. <laughs> <laughs> I could have sworn you guys were five foot seven when I when you walked in. <laughs> now that's the voice of Irv Miller. Now Irv is one of the most uh, uh, respected Chicago criminal uh, defense attorneys, and and he's other. He's he's actually uh, had a whole career. He tells me he's retired, by the way. And every time I see Irv, is either on his way to or back from a courtroom, something that he's been involved in, or the CBS station in Chicago has called Irv and said, hey, we need your opinion, reaction uh, to this big news story that just broke. So he is, to me, always working. But anyway, that's part of his life. The other part that I think is fascinating is that Irv, for years now, has been an advisor for a couple of really uh, top-notch, uh, acclaimed, and uh, watched programs on CBS. One was The Good Wife. And then, uh, after The Good Wife came along, The Good Fight. And you can stream The Good Fight right now. Three seasons exist. I told Irv, look, before you come in, I'm going to try to watch an episode. And I wound up watching six now. I mean, that's just my personal testimony about it. That's the way to do it. Because I got so into it. That's the great thing about streaming, by the way. Because you don't have to wait week after week to find these things. But anyway... You know, Irv is the advisor, making sure that what the lawyers say and how they act and how the judges uh, behave in courtrooms, everything that's sort of wrapped around the law, he advises that show about how the script should be. That they get it right. Yeah, Yeah, that they get the thing right. It's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Irv, please, can I ask you one important question? Yes, sir. How tall are you? My foot's eight and a half. <laughs> not shorter our, than you guys. Well, no. uh, not at our doctor. Sounds like you're still going to our doctors. <laughs> our doctor is that close. You, he'd have you at five six. <laughs> I'm actually five eleven, but shrinking by the day. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Before we get into the, which is fascinating, you're consulting with the television uh, shows. Let me ask you, how did you determine you wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer as opposed to a prosecutor? or just a general practice? What took you in that direction? The Cook County State's Attorney decided to hire me. Really? Put so me in the criminal division. Uh-huh. was there for 10 years, and the rest is history. And the other thing that Steve and I have talked about is, as a criminal defense attorney, what if you feel like or know that the person did it and they're guilty? Do you try, you, I guess you have to try your best to, to get the, them off, or does it happen that way? Do you get a feeling? And, or do you, can you ask them, are you, did you do it, or is that out of bounds? Now, now, before you answer, Herb, I always assume that the lawyer does not want to know. Like you, You're trying this guy for uh, uh, some murder. Uh, they are trying him, and you are defending this person. My thinking is that you don't want to know, uh, I'm going to defend you, I'm, I'm going to deal with all the circumstances and all the other stuff, but I don't want to hear that. There are two schools of thought. Half the lawyers out there who defend criminal cases say, I don't want to know what my client has to say. And the other half, which I'm a part of, believe that I want to know everything. From my perspective, the only way to attack a criminal case is to know what my client's perception is, what he believes really happened, he or she believes really happened, so I can then ask the appropriate questions of the prosecution's witnesses. If I don't know my client's side of the story, I really can't come up with a theory of the case or properly figure out what, what the heck questions I want to ask of the complaining witness. On the other hand, a lot of defense attorneys don't want to know because 
you have an ethical obligation not to put your client on the stand and have him tell a lie. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know what his side is, he's not going to tell you one thing and then put him on the stand. He's going to say something else, and it's a lie, and you've created an ethical problem. So there is a split among the defense attorneys. Now, to, to your question about um, uh, representing a guilty client, frankly, it makes it easier to represent a guilty client. There's nothing worse than representing somebody on a murder charge when in the old days you could be facing the death penalty or now life imprisonment. And you either forget to ask a question of a witness or you ask the wrong question of a witness and that guy gets convicted and you you lose sleep for the rest of your life. It's much easier representing somebody you know that's guilty because the pressure is off. And it makes it easier to plea bargain with the prosecution. If you have an innocent client, you can't say, hey, why don't you take 50 years instead of life? You know, I know you're innocent. It's easier, hey, listen, I did kill the guy. Can you get me the best possible deal you can? So, uh, And I do believe in the presumption of innocence and it's the duty of the prosecutor to prove you guilty. If you have that in mind, generally it doesn't bother you if your client's guilty or what he did. But I have one exception to the rule. I will not represent somebody that does harm to a child. I will not. I have never, ever represented somebody, tried to get them off when it was a uh, somebody who molested a child right. or, or sure, no. uh, that that was my that was my black line in the sand. Yeah. So. Now, you know, I think this leads us. I, I wondered how did Irv get from this career that he has built in Chicago to out in Hollywood? How does that happen? <laughs> but you were involved in, in a, some way connected to the OJ trial. There's something that happened here in Chicago? Actually, I, I represented a defense witness on the OJ case. If you recall, uh, there was a Detective Furman, and there was an issue involved in whether or not Detective Furman ever used the N-word in, uh, in his life mm-hmm. and why that was relevant to this day, I don't know. But um, it turns out that uh, I was at home one Sunday night, and I get a call uh, from ABC News. And ABC News asked me, uh, do you represent this uh, gentleman? Um, yes. They gave me his name, yes. And he said, well, we just found out uh, we provided a freedom of information request with the LAPD uh, for Detective Furman's um, discipline reports, and your client's name popped up as having filed a complaint against Furman 10 years before Nicole was killed. And you, your client alleged not only did Furman beat him up, but he used the N-word. Hmm we would like to interview your client. And I said, hold on, and ABC knows, um, you know, let's, let's, let me find out a little bit more about this. So I called the, uh, the L.A. District Attorney's Office, and I called uh, F. Lee Bailey and told them both, both sides, uh, what happened. Uh, next thing I know, F. Lee Bailey was on an airplane to Chicago to interview my client, came to my office, uh, interviewed my client. Um, we left my office. We went to a bar and had a drink, and uh, he decided that he would like to call my client as a witness on the case. So uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, while the trial was going on, my client and I flew to L.A., and uh, Judge Ito couldn't make up his mind. Uh, surprise, surprise, about some other things. We got stuck out there for nine days. Uh, we were stuck out there over uh, Labor Day weekend, and I remember uh, um, the defense attorney said to me, well, Johnny Cochran actually said to me, well, it's Friday. The judge can't make up his mind on this thing. We need a guy to testify on Tuesday. I'll fly you back to Chicago, or I'll put you up here in the nicest hotel in L.A., or how about I send you to Vegas for the weekend? No, I'll, and, take, I'll take all three. And yeah. here's O.J.'s credit card. And so I chose door number I chose door number three. I went to Las yeah. Vegas, and yeah. I'm laying at the pool at 110 degrees, and I order a pina colada. And she brings me back my pina colada, and I lift it up in there, and I say, thanks, O.J. It's charged O.J. Charged now, O.J. And by, the t- and by this time, it must be a circus out there, right? I mean, uh, There were more minicams chasing us through the parking lot than I have ever seen in my entire life. I mean, we were, they were hitting each other. The cameramen were hitting each other over the head with the minicams chasing us through the parking lot. And one of the Chicago TV stations uh, actually sent a reporter out there um, all the Chicago stations uh, had us at O'Hare leaving to go to Los Angeles and coming back from o- uh, to O'Hare uh, just to get uh, you know the Chicago connection to the uh, O.J. Simpson case. Yeah, you guys know one, how that works. I, I want one more question about the whole star aspect of it. You know, you get out there and there are faces and people that you've already seen in action, like uh, Johnny Cochran, 
in F. Lee Bailey and that whole dream team they had. Probably by now, Marsha Clark, Clark is a name, too, in the news. Did you notice anything about how they operate where you thought, this person's really good, or this person isn't what I thought this person was? Uh, you know what amazed me was uh, d during one of the lunch breaks, um, uh, all the defense attorneys gathered in one of the jury rooms out there, and uh, Johnny Cochran asked me if I wanted to come back and have lunch with you know the whole team. I was like 10 of them. And so I'm sitting in the back, and they gave me a sandwich, and um, they're, they're discussing, discussing trial strategy for that day. Uh, and they're all turning to me and says, well, what do you think? I, I mean, here you have the, this high-priced team of lawyers, and they're turning right. to me, what yeah. do you think? Yeah. And I said, hmm, i got to get in on this. <laughs> so it was fun. They, you know, uh, uh, it was interesting watching them. It was interesting seeing what went on behind the scenes of that trial. Uh, it was uh, actually uh, one of the highlights of, of the process was – I, when my client was testifying, I sat right next to the jury box. I could actually reach out and touch one of the jurors. That's how close I was. And when my client got up there and testified how um, uh, Detective Furman uh, called him the N-word, there were two black jurors sitting next to one another, right next to me. And as soon as my client said, yeah, he called me the N-word, I saw one of the uh, black jurors reach across and tap the other black juror on the mm -hmm. knee like, mm -hmm. see? Mm -hmm. So I knew right then and there it wasn't going to be a guilty verdict. It was going to either be a not guilty verdict mm. or a hung jury, but it was not going to be a guilty verdict. So that's verdict. your first sense of, okay, I see where this is going. Yeah. Well, yeah. you said a couple of minutes ago when they first asked about talking to Mark Furman, when they found out about using the N-word, that you didn't see the relevance of it. But the relevance, this came together later on because their case was trying to show that the LAPD was biased and that they... They said it. That they set OJ up, so it all came together at that point. It did for for OJ. That worked, and you know, sometimes when you're trying a case, there, there's what's legally relevant and what's pra there's practically relevant. Legally, it had absolutely no relevance to that case whatsoever. Practically, in that particular case, uh -huh. with you know the with, with the glove and everything, how it didn't fit, and how Furman was considered to be the bad guy because he planted the, that fit practically. If that case was tried in Cook County, I doubt there's any judge at 26 in California that would have admitted anything about the N-word. Hmm. It just wouldn't have happened. When you're, when you're in a courtroom, uh, when you, I mean, how, how important is it for an attorney to have the flamboyance and the showmanship that Johnny Cochran had? And what effect did that have? I mean, uh, on that he's, case, he's, uh, on that case oh. or any case that he probably tried, he was a showman. You know, he had a way with words. You know, I sat in that courtroom for two days watching it, uh, you know, what was going on before my client testified. And, you know, when he got up, everyone was quiet. I mean, it, it was he was the star of the show. And he was not only a nice guy, but he was a really good lawyer. And he knew how to play to that jury. He didn't care about the judge at all. He didn't even look at the judge. He was looking at the jury. And uh, he played it right. He did everything that a trial lawyer is supposed to do. You keep the attention on the jury on yourself. You don't let the two boring prosecutors over there try to get any anywhere with the jury. You're the show, and he, he played it like a master. Well, so that's the thing about this show <clears throat> that Irv works on, The Good Fight. You help uh, keep a, a lawyer true to what that character would be in the, in the room and as he's discussing the law. Also, you deal with the judges. Every episode has a different kind of judge in it. One judge is real warm and, warm and fuzzy. And fuzzy. <laughs> Another guy, you can't wait to get out of there because he, he looks like he's going to convict everybody. Another guy is totally out of it. I mean, there are, there's a wide range of judges. I would think a lot of us think that judges sort of have this persona that they all seem to take with them. But it's not true. You know, the bottom line for me was when I got hired, um, actually, 189 episodes ago, when you lumped the good fight and the good wife together, uh, I, I was actually hired for the pilot of the good wife. And the executive producer, uh, the showrunner, uh, Robert King, said to me, your role is to make sure we get it right. We want to be unlike all these other law and cop shows. We want lawyers to watch the show and say, boy. I've seen that before. That's the way it's yeah. supposed to yeah. be done. Yeah. So that's always been my role. 
but also part of my role. I mean, I've tried thousands of cases here in Cook County, and I've seen judges that know what they're doing. They know the law. I've seen lazy judges. I've been in front of judges that have gone to the penitentiary for being crooked. I've seen judges that basically is you, you make an objection and you could see they're flipping a coin in their mind trying to decide what to do. Um, judges that are rude. Uh, and what uh, at the very beginning, and when the writers asked me, you know, could you describe some of the judges for us? So, because you know, and I laid out about you know 25 different scenarios of different judges, kind of like when I just named a few, and that's kind of like what what they put in. One day I said to him, well, how about you know, how about a really good judge? I mean, we have this one judge in Cook County, and I'll say his name is Mike Tuman. He's the one that recently decided uh, the Smollett uh, uh, matter, and he's yeah. been involved in other cases. He's the gold standard. He's the perfect judge. He's he's knows the law, and I said, why don't you you know just you have a good judge on there? That'd be kind of boring. The, re the viewers don't want to watch <laughs> yeah, we that. Yeah, want a good judge. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to have more with Irv Miller, criminal defense attorney and uh, and Hollywood man now, right? Hollywood he's a good. consultant on some very good television shows. And if you like, back to you with Howard and Steve then be sure to check out some of the other programs on the Radio Misfits pod podcast network like Free Kicks, Rick Kempfer, and Adam Holworth, the director of coaching for the Illinois Youth Soccer Association, discuss all the latest international, national, and, and local soccer news. And I, they might talk about the uh, women's soccer team who uh, won the impressive fashion, won the World Cup. But anyway... Um, that is an Opie show. Opie is what? Hippo. Spelled Hippo. Backwards. Spelled backwards. Yes. Is this a test now? And it says, uh, I like to give you a test once in a while. And it's available only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. RadioMisfits.com. All right. I, I want to ask Irv. You can ask Irv whatever you he's, want. He's had a while to look at and listen to both of us. Would we make good jurors, you think? <laughs> Would you say the flavor of the... First of all, does does being any kind of celebrity type, like, you know, Howard and I have been on for years on TV here in Chicago. Case comes up. You see we're in the jury pool. Are you saying, great, I want guys like that, or no way do I want those guys on this jury? It would depend on the case, but I would not want a celebrity status juror to take away from my presentation if I were a defense attorney or a prosecutor. In other words, I wouldn't want the jurors looking at you guys and asking you guys for autographs and pictures with okay. you guys and taking away my show, uh, yeah. my presentation as a, as a lawyer on a case. Right. Other than that, sometimes you want, and I'm going to give you guys a comment, you're two intelligent men. Sometimes you want an intelligent juror. Sometimes you don't want an intelligent juror. So it's more the dynamics of the individual juror than, than <laughs> the celebrity sure which, status. I'm not sure which category we actually fit in. I'm not you know, either. He better look at us again, right? I yeah. think he made an assumption there. <laughs> I didn't make an assumption. You invited me here. I have to be nice to you. You know, I have been a juror. Generally, when I've been called, they will see they know what you do or recognize you and then they'll throw you out pretty quickly so i've mm -hmm. i've been called up one time in dupage county it was toward the end of the day they needed a juror you know they needed to get a jury put together uh they called us up there and it was a uh what's the term for it when they're when you're taking when the state is taking land away and they're trying to figure out how much it costs condemnation because now wasn't condemnation but um what it was was the school was being built and a woman had a farm and they were trying to figure out fair value per acre mm. for that so anyway we got we got to the end and they asked me a couple questions and they called my number and i asked the judge your honor could i see you for a second in your chambers so i went back in there and he knew me too and i said i can't do this i said i've got to work and he says too late he said once the once the call was really? made yeah it's too late so we went through it uh it lasted five days hmm. it was just like you know like a murder trial i mean we went back in the jury room at the end they bought pizza for us and they we elected a foreman and what have you and it sounds the, like it could have been really boring, though, the, the, the subject well, matter. Right? You know, uh, jurors, 
jurors do get into these cases. I really? mean, they really. Well, uh, okay. I tell you what, it, it maybe it was a little bit, but when it, you know, having not been through it yeah. and being in that juror jurors box, I mean, it's 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 an interesting experience. But when they would get up there, they bring up an expert witness, and the witness, well, I'd say, "Wow, that person really knows what they're doing." And then it finally dawned on me that they're being paid. <laughs> <laughs> to say that, and the other side would have somebody equally yeah. as good. Yeah. The bottom line of the thing is, and I don't know how often this happens, Irv, is that if the land was, uh, the, the one side was asking for 8000 an acre, the other one was trying to say that it was worth four, and the fair value, which was proven by both sides, was about 6000 an acre. So we just split it down the middle. So they could have done that without all this, without the trial, without people missing work, without wasting all that time. Does that happen frequently? It does happen frequently, and unfortunately, I hate to say it, uh, something bad about my profession, but when lawyers are getting paid by the hour, mm. sometimes uh, they do what's best for them and not do what's best for their clients. So that's my little editorial statement in there. Well, you know, we're going to throw every legal question we have at you today. Let and me start the clock. Thank you here. for your patience. <laughs> <and> your... <laughs> should, I, should I call my lawyer? Or what? What's going on here? When I said he grabbed his watch earlier, he yeah. was starting a clock. Yeah. Tick, tick, yeah. tick, tick. He's a smart man. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. I, I have wondered uh, recently, one of the episodes, by the way, in uh, The Good Fight was wrapped around a company using something they call the Friedman method or something, some way of interrogating an employee to see if the person was stealing. And it was some technique that they named that police officers will use when interrogating a suspect. Are there, I mean, I never looked at it that way. I guess uh, uh, policemen are trained in methods of interrogating. Is that pretty much a standard thing? Yes, and most of them have proved to be uh, faulty because typically, like you get somebody arrested, and you hear, you know, all the time now how somebody's released from, you know, the penitentiary or taken off death row because it's a faulty confession, it's a false confession yeah. because they said police officers in the past did whatever they could to get somebody to confess. And when I was a prosecutor and I actually uh, interrogated suspects, I had one rule. Never say anything to another person where you're giving them a reason to confess when they didn't do it. In other words, you don't say to them, just tell me what happened, I'll let you go home. I, you know, let's just, you know, yeah. see what, just tell me, just get it off your chest and you're going home. And so do you think there have been a lot of folks who have said, okay, if that gets me out of this room... I confess. Uh, yes, and a lot of people have been released from the penitentiary because uh, in the past, typically, the uh, Chicago Police Department did it frequently. And you, when you ask, uh, you know, when you give somebody a bone and, and uh, you keep them in jail for 48 hours and they haven't slept and they haven't eaten and they're sleeping on the floor, I mean, they'll do pretty much anything to get out of jail. So you can't add to that by giving them a reason to, okay, I did it, I killed her, you know. Yeah. Well, I would think one of the most difficult things... For, for an attorney to do is to coach somebody up that is about ready to be deposed, to go into a deposition, because those can last seven, eight, nine hours, and you can't keep your wits about you, and, and you know, it's real easy to contradict what you said earlier in it, or once you get on the witness stand. So, that's got to be one of the more difficult things to go through. Yeah. Well, nowadays, depositions are time-restricted. So, they are? Uh, yeah. But, but, you know, it's, it's tougher. Uh, uh, let's say in a, case, a criminal case, you may testify in front of the Cook County Grand Jury under oath and tell the Grand Jury what happened. And two years later, the case goes to trial. And you then have to repeat the whole story. And what are the odds mm -hmm. you're going to, you know, tell exactly the same story that you told the Grand Jury, which is exactly what you may have seen two months before you testified before the Grand Jury? And that's what defense attorneys jump on to try to get inconsistencies in various statements, grand jury, police reports, um, and your testimony. So that's, that's the makeup of defense attorney and how they attempt to win a case. Let's get back to the TV show for a second. Um, do you, like, they, the writers will show, send you the script, I assume. It works different First. ways. Um, sometimes I will give them the idea. Typically in The Good Wife, I gave them story ideas and, and huh. that I thought were really interesting. And um, several times they went with it. Typically in The Good Fight now, what they'll do is they'll call me up, run, run an idea by me. And I'll say, 
you know, basically they're looking for a gray area. They don't want where uh, a legal case where the law is settled, where there's no doubt about what the law is. Um, they don't want black, they don't want white, they want the gray area so they could fight about it in a courtroom or fight about it at a deposition between lawyers. Um, and uh, they run the idea by me. Or I'll, you know, I'll get an email, I'll get a, uh, I call, it's called the executive producer's draft, the very first draft of a, of a script. And I'll go through that and I'll do a little legal research. And you know, I'm a criminal lawyer. And Steve, you've seen some episodes of The Good Fight. They go all over the place. There's civil yeah. cases, there's probate, there's military law, there's probate, there's domestic relations. Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert on all those subjects. So um, fortunately, I have a lot of good friends that are judges and lawyers that specialize in various aspects, and they're more than happy to sit down with me. And what we'll do is we'll get uh, on a conference call with the writers in New York and let either the judge or the lawyers that are experts in that area you know, just uh, sit down and get uh, um, questioned by the writers, or, and I'll throw in my two cents occasionally to get it right. That's the bottom line with what they want to do on, on the good fight. You know, in some... What a great Sorry, gig. I'm just thinking, what a great it gig. It is a great he gig. Is, Irv is really set now. Yeah. And yeah. I, give out, I give out coffee mugs that say the good wife or the good fight. Do that's, you? That's, really? that's, that's the nice. bonus. Yeah, I'll get you guys one. Nice. Uh, what I was going to ask was that if, you know, a lot of times shows have to stick to the script. Exactly. The director, the writers will insist on that. In a lot of shows, they give the actors leeway where they can where they can ad lib. So they could ad lib something that isn't realistic in the legal world. My question is: Are you there then for all everything that's filmed? No, uh, I've gone out to uh, I've watched several of uh, the, the cases uh, being filmed uh, while they're being filmed. Uh, but um, when I re when I first started. Uh, doing this, and I was curious to see how the script ended up coming, the words coming out of the actors' mouths. So I would I'd have my iPad out, and I would have the script in front of me, and as the show was being aired, I'd follow along um, the television as it's playing out to the script and see how much ad-libbing was done, if any. And I have to tell you, these actors are good. They mem the, the actors on these both of these shows, they memorized their lines. They didn't deviate a period or a comma, really? let alone yeah. a word or a sentence. They just, and it could be a long paragraph, and they just hit it. And I was so impressed with that, I never could have done that. And isn't it amazing to you when you see words on a piece of paper that you may have had a part in, in putting there, and to see how the actors make it come alive and how they put an accent on a certain word or how they use their emotions or how they use their voice up and down. It's, re it's an unbelievable skill, isn't it? It is, and, and I tell you, for me, um, to, to see a line or a paragraph that I have suggested or actually written out for them, to see those words come out of the actor's mouth knowing that they were my hey, words. My, that, that was a thrill. I wrote that song. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. No, all right. Now, picking up on that, these people are so good at playing that role of attorney in a courtroom. Oh, how come somebody who thinks, I'm a pretty good performer, and I think I can captivate people, I'll defend myself. Why does that never work? Uh, because you have a fool for a client. So, now, what happens in the transition, what is it that's going on? What am I telling myself that makes me a fool? Well, you don't know the law. I mean, uh, you, 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 it doesn't work. I mean, and judges can't help you. They cannot suggest to you, hey, you should ask this question or you should make this objection. Um, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't work. I want Irv to do something now, if you can. Jot down a line. Steve is the prosecutor. A role unfamiliar. And I'm on trial. Oh, this is easy. So why don't you, if you can think of a line that he could, then then give me the line, and let's see how we can act it out. You want me to write a line for a prosecutor? Yes. Just where he's asking me, I'm in, I'm in the <clears throat> jury box. I'm on trial. You're in the jury. Car theft. So I'm looking car at you. Car theft. Okay. I'm and you're the you. prosecutor. Yeah. I I stole car. Okay. I've never done that, by the way. Well, you look pretty good at it right now, the way you got into <laughs> character. So I have to add, I have to say something that's going to win the jury over? Yeah, you have to say what he writes. 
He's the writer. Yeah. We're going to see if if we we're going to have Irv then grade us on how we did it. But don't make it very long. Oh, you mean we're performing now? We're going to perform. We're going to act. Yes. This whole thing is, is taking it, longer than the Good Fight episode. Irv understands. this out. Irv understood what I meant when I said <laughs> right, five okay. minutes I, ago. I am so lost. You have no idea, right? <laughs> I want you to write a line. Well, write a line like you would for the show. He's a he's prosec he's a prosecutor, and he's going to ask you a question. And I'm on trial. And you're I'm, the defendant. I'm the defendant. Oh, okay. I thought you said you were in the jury yeah, box. I did too. Okay. Oh, I did. You've say lost that. this case see, already. See, I I messed up. And this, let me just. Um, I'm. Let me tell you a quick story. On trial. Um, a couple of years ago, Illinois changed its law uh, on a on a particular thing where in civil cases. Illinois law, they decided that jurors could now ask questions of witnesses where never before could that happen. And so I sent this, this law out to the writers uh, to say, hey, listen, here's the new Illinois law. It takes effect. The jurors could ask questions. They did a whole episode about it. Now, that seems bizarre. I mean, would you as a lawyer, on, on which Worst side do you think? Worst thing that could happen to a lawyer. Oh, really? Oh, yes. So you do not want Sometimes like you happening. don't want a question being asked, and you keep your mouth shut, and all of a sudden one of the jurors blurts it out, yeah. and uh, the witness has to answer yeah. So, uh, you know, as what you would ask a prosecutor to, you're the defendant? Yeah, I'm on a trial for um, and for uh, car theft. Okay, and you're saying you didn't do it. I'm saying I didn't do it. Okay. Mistaken right. identity. I have to be careful because Irv likes for you to deliver this thing the way he intends it. Yes. So, so now I'm getting the a little nervous. The suspense is killing me here. It's, it's making me nervous because I have to come through and... Uh, and you are really right. You are to okay. You are to ask him this question sure. with deliberation. Yes. With with anger in yes. your voice. Yes. Are you? Let's see, I'm pissed off already. Are you asking? Are you giving me the the answer? No, no. Or am you, I you, you have to come up with the answer. I have to add lip. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you tell me one thing, Howard. Why in the world did you have the keys to the stolen car in your pocket? Guilty. I object. Ask and answer. I sold that. Nice. <laughs> they were planted wow. there. They were planted wow. in my pocket. They no, were he, planted. Wait a second. Detective Furman's been in Chicago? <laughs> they were planted. Here's the other thing. Look, yeah, they're, they're, did you more often than not not want your client on the stand? I never wanted my client on the stand. Why? What happened? Because when I was a prosecutor, I always found out my best witness ever was the guy who, the defendant that took the stand. And tried to get out of a little bit of it, but he gave the prosecutor a little bit of it, and he ended up getting convicted. So I, my rule of thumb, most most defense attorneys believe in putting their client down after that. I never wanted my client because I, I always believe that the prosecutor can outsmart my client. Uh, you know, they know the rules. Um, they know my, my client's lying, um, and I just never ever ever put my yeah. client on the stand. Yeah. Can a defendant object? It's the defendant's final uh, decision. Matter of fact, judge will question to the it. judge. Uh, uh, the judge will state to the defendant, "Excuse me, your lawyer just said, Mr. Defendant, that uh, you're not going to testify. That's your decision, Mr. Defendant. If you want to testify, you can testify, no matter what your lawyer says. Do you want to testify? or Do you want to not testify?" Now you're out there, and they're out there in Hollywood writing these scripts about uh, Chicago cases. Are there? More differences than we would think in in Illinois law than in California law. Um, there are. Uh, every state is unique as far as uh, what the charges are, uh, what types of evidence you could get in. Uh, um, the lingo is different. Um, it, it's totally, totally different. Particularly, and I tell you, the biggest uh, state uh, uh, difference from Illinois is Louisiana, because they're based on the Napoleonic Code. It was a French settlement, so mm -hmm. they're totally different law than than, than Illinois. So what are they doing? What would Napoleon do in this case? <laughs> <laughs> Off with his head. You know, I, um, uh, Irv, by the way, I don't think I ever told you this. I had a little courtroom experience as a performer. Remember People's Court with Judge Wapner? Sure. Okay. So the People's Court comes to Chicago for a week. And uh, I don't know when, when this was, maybe early 90s, something like that. And I did the Doug Llewellyn thing. Remember Doug Llewellyn where he would stand out in the hall and go, well, here come the litigants now. Oh, okay. yeah. How do you feel? Sally really yeah. said you stole that. Yeah. 
Well, I did that after each case. And the thing that shocked me, and Judge Wapner, by the way, was a cool guy. He's kind of cranky, but really a nice guy. Rusty the bailiff was a old-time bailiff, and he sat down one day and said how I looked Charlie Manson right in the eye. <laughs> and Charlie says to me, you know, Rusty, I can get up from here and leave anytime I want. And Rusty said, try it, Charlie. <laughs> Man, that was some good yeah, theory going on there. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. But that's I, I picture of saying, you'll only try once. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Irv, before and, we uh, let you go, because the clock is running. So soon? He's still an but attorney. He, did you check his watch? Is it time? We no, are got, by, be praying by the hour. I got the man in there giving or, me cues. Or, or <laughs> See, oh, I'm the facilitator. Oh, I got it. There's yeah. a guy behind me somewhere yes. we're pointing to you. Yes. Okay. You right. know what he's pointing? He's pointing to you and saying, <laughs> cut, he's saying, cut, cut. Yeah, cut. He yeah. said, don't let him ask any more questions. No, he's saying no. Um, let's talk about the Hollywood part. Did you meet the stars and uh, get to know any of them? Uh, Julianne Margulies was I, the star I, of The Good I Wife. I did, I did. I met him on the set, but more importantly, I met him at the Christmas parties after we all had a few drinks. And uh, That's the better uh, way to meet him. They yes. were great parties. Uh, Julianne Margulies is just a very nice lady. Uh, Christine Baranski, before the show even started, um, I got a call from uh, the executive producer and said, one of our actors has never played a lawyer before. Um, she'd really like to just pick your brains on what it's like to be a lawyer. And, it, and ten minutes later, I get a call from Christine Baranski. He's, Irv, I've never been a you know played a lawyer. You know how? What do I do as a lawyer? And I said, You'd be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he schooled her well because you. I mean, she plays the role well. You said that maybe in a couple of weeks from this airing or this taping, there could she could win an, an Emmy, right? You know, yeah, the Emmy nominations come out really soon. Um, there's talk that the show itself may be nominated for a, uh, a Best Drama. Uh, there's talk that she may be nominated for uh, a Best Actress in a Drama Series, so uh, she deserves it. She's just fantastic. I remember watching movies that she was in before I even met her, and uh, just a, a great actress and just, in person, just a sweetheart. Could you get a writing credit? I'm, I could not get a writing credit because uh, I'm not technically a writer. My, my niche is I'm the technical, uh, legal technical advisor to okay. the show. Uh, well, there should be an Emmy Award for that. should be a category. Well, the thing that's, that's pretty cool is that Irv knows that what he has contributed yes. comes right out of her mouth as yes. she's performing some of these uh, episodes. You know, and, and I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I've read some of these scripts and... I said, boy, this is really a boring episode. I mean, I could hardly mm -hmm. get through the script. Right. And then I watch it, and, and the way these actors just put life into these characters and, 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 and the in interaction between them, and, and, and it just it t put flavor into the script. Yeah. And it turned out to be a great episode, and I was totally wrong when I read the script. Is there any part of Hollywood that makes you think, gee, I'm glad I'm not out there? I think I, as long as I'm still employed, I don't think I'm going to answer that question. <laughs> that was a trick question. Well, I wanted to see how sharp you were going to be. This yeah. you've, you've got a good gig, and um, you've been very interesting, uh, Irv. It was Pleasure great to, to you have guys. you on. Um, you I hope you liked this experience, did you? Did you? Uh, I just hate being around short guys all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I that's a good you, answer. I told you, Irv was all right. Well, he's got to be quick-witted. He's an attorney. Here's the thing. Uh, one point I'm interested in knowing, the one last thing, podcasting like we're doing, should we, are we going to need a lawyer down the road somewhere? Is it is it a different way of... Uh, freedom of speech and, and performing than, than TV or radio. Uh, I'm serious Steve, with that. Yeah. I'm a lawyer. I'm going to say you always need a lawyer. You <laughs> 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 have to protect my profession. Well, now that brings a follow-up question. If he says something that gets us in trouble, do we all get sued? Um, it's, there's a theory in the law called the deep pocket theory. You go after the guy with the deep pocket, and I think hey. I'm looking at two deep pockets right here. I think it's right over <laughs> right there. there. Right there, that's man. You got two fingers pointing at each other. That's here. man. Right over there. Because I live in a band box. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to win the daily double. <laughs> well, come out to Arlington. You know where to find me. He was just there the other day. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I wanted to win too. Wanted to win. Well, I didn't listen to everything he said. That's right. the problem. And my so, horse is one. And this so, horse wins. Anyway, yeah. that's that story. 
Irv Miller, thank you very much. You've been very interesting. Thank good you luck. Guys. Continued good luck with these uh, with the shows. Well, the good wife uh, turned into the good fight, and, and, and it's I on highly, a roll. Highly recommend. And CBS it. just uh, said season number four is being uh, aired, so nice. that is good. Terrific. Nice. Well, we thank you very much. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we'll talk about types of used cars to avoid. Plus, is nitrogen really worth it for your tires? I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, and OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. All right, after the world's longest thank you to our guest, Herb Miller, we're going to wrap things up right now. What are you pointing at? You're on TV. What's that all about? There's a TV monitor with a TV camera pointing at me. At you? Yeah. Why is it pointed at you? Only you. Because Irv's my agent. Well, do you have this? <laughs> now I'm thinking, <laughs> does this air somewhere and the camera's pointed at you? Yeah. And only you? Yeah. And, and it's it like... It streams on CBS where the good fight airs. Irv hooked it up. And the producers. Look, you're, I'm not joking. What is this all about? A camera pointed at you only. I'm just telling you. That's the way it goes. You know, he does have a fascinating job. Speaking of jobs, pull one out. What's the uh, worst job you ever had? A, <laughs> You'll say CBS. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, uh, that's way up there at the top. I, uh, the worst job I ever had was a busboy in a revolving restaurant. Oh, yeah, you've told I told you that one. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, I was a, a fireman trainee at an oil refinery for a summer. Really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, all We've we did all was test the hoses. So. I, the worst job I <clears> – <throat> this wasn't the worst job I had, but when I was about 17, I was a clothing – a men's clothing store sales. Clothing – I st- sold – clothing in a men's <laughs> store is what i'm trying to say well you always, why don't you help me you look all, at me because it was, well, it's more interesting to hear hear you to hear me babble yeah yeah was that the way you were in the store it was i yeah. didn't sell one suit i bet not if i get this stumbling was, mumbling guy <laughs> coming up to me i've got this suit here i mean this tie and maybe we want to get some socks and then they would out of sympathy buy stuff from yeah me. because this um, stumbling mumbling guy whoa, comes over that was rough uh, How tell, long did that last, by the way? Uh, for not very long, I think you could tell. Were you um, measuring folks and like? No, uh, I didn't measure no? anybody. I wasn't a tailor. Well, because sales yeah, people have to measure if you're in a men's department. Um, I want you uh, all of this, all of this stumbling, this mumbling so is leading me to a story that you told me on the phone last night about your friend <laughs> that worked yeah, at silly. That's just this fast, silly thing that at this fast that's, food restaurant. Yeah, I just happened to think of it. Uh, the guy I knew who worked at Roy Rogers. Yeah, I remember those places. Now, there's nothing, I mean, the thing about it was, you know, we all grew up <laughs> together in uh, West Philly and uh, uh, went to high school together, uh, city guys, um, and... Uh, we all were looking for summer jobs. That might have been one of the years I was working at that oil refinery where I got a job like uh-huh. that. Well, anyway, he happened to get a job at Roy Rogers. And, uh, and the only thing about it was that when he came up, when we came up to the counter where he was a cashier, uh, he had a cowboy hat on <laughs> and might have even had a holster. I don't know if he had like a toy gun in it. <laughs> And all the women that worked there had to dress like Dale Evans, Rory's wife. That was enough just to see. We used to go in there just to look at him and then just walk right out. But the biggest kick was to go up to the counter and order. So if you're like, hey, Bob, what's happening? Yes. Uh, You knew that he could not respond his usual way. You know how all those employees had to respond? (laughs) No. He had to say first, howdy, partner. How can I help you? <laughs> did I he, loved that. Did he ever live it down? No. And, uh, and it was, the, the thing is, it's such a happy phrase with a pissed off face. <laughs> it is. And, and when, you, when you go through that experience, it was wonderful. We go in there every other day just to hear him say, howdy, partner. How howdy, partner? You? How yeah. can I help yeah. you? Yeah. That's unbelievable. So maybe that was his worst job. It wasn't my worst job. That was his worst moment when his buddies came in. Of course. Anyway, that was that was the story. 
All right, that's going to do it for now. You can find Back to You with Howard and Steve at the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and all the places that you can get. Uh, you can Spotify, uh, Samuel. You can turn your mic on. Tell us where else. Stitcher. Those are all great places, by the way. Spotify, Apple Music. Yeah, you got yeah. Tune in. Yeah. Uh, not Apple Music, Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts now, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah. All right, Samuel, thank you very much. And we yep. want to thank our executive producer, who is Tony Lasano with Opi Productions. And that is Hippo spelled backwards, distributed by Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And we want to thank Samuel, who's behind the glass, and he is running the board and uh, turning these mics on and off and taking care of things today. Steve, that's it. Did you have a good time? Yes, I did. And I'm done. Are you coming back for the next one? Yeah. Is there's there's going to be a next one? There is going to be a next one. Man. Thank you very much for listening. And it's Stephen Howard. Back to you is the name of the show. And we will see you next time, I hope. Bye. The preceding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? I'm done. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we'll talk about types of used cars to avoid. Plus, is nitrogen really worth it for your tires? I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Lou Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, and Opi production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Five guys fighting at... Five guys. An obscene wedding invitation. Hey, is that a cooler full of penises? What happened on the day I was born at Wrigley Field? Rick's brush with Governor Jim Edgar. And we interview Esra Mohawk. Rockstar. Who uh, is the singer of the schoolhouse rock song Interjections, among many other things. All that and unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. The Tony Lasano Podcast, and Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Radiomisfits.com. Hey, coming to the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and friends, starring me, Tommy. And me, Kimmy. And me, Sam. Come meet your new best friends. <laughs> hey, if you want to listen to our show, this is what it sounds like exactly. It's all about those conversations you can only have with your true friends. So come meet your new friends, Tommy. Kimmy. Sam. Right here with Ann Friends. Me want you as friends. <laughs> Radiomisfits.com.